So, when was your last checkup? Oh no, not you. Although that's important too, but when was your last vehicle checkup? When it comes to service, nobody knows your Chevy better than your local Chevy dealer. Go to ChevyDriveChicago.com to schedule an appointment today. Chicago's Afternoon News 720 WGN. It was September 29th, 1982. This is how it reads in the Chicago Tribune. 6.15 a.m., Elk Grove Village, 12-year-old Mary Kellerman woke before sunrise with a nagging head cold that would keep her home from school. After persuading her father to let her miss classes, she went into the bathroom and she swallowed an extra-strength Tylenol capsule that her mother had purchased at the grocery store the previous night. We all know that was just the beginning. That was 40 years ago, September 29th, 1982. And, of course, the 40th anniversary is coming up, and there are some in-depth pieces of reporting that have been published in the Trib. And the people behind those pieces are Christy Gutowski and Stacy St. Clair. Nine months you two have spent on compiling this story and trying to find something that hasn't been told. Thank you both for joining me on Chicago's Afternoon News. Thanks for having us. So after that moment at 6.15 on September 29th, we then know that Mary Kellerman was found by her dad and she did not survive. For anyone who wasn't alive in 1982 or maybe they were too young to remember, why don't one of you recount what happened and how many people perished as a result of this? Sure. So (laughs) after after Mary Kellerman died, died six other people in that same 24-hour period took poisoned Tylenol pills and and died you know almost instantly some went, some were brain dead and lingered for a little bit but none of them had any chance of survival once they swallowed those pills and it sent if you're too young to remember it sent the entire country into a panic yeah, uh, because, because there wasn't one store. It wasn't like they all got them off of one shelf at one store. It was very random, but all in Chicago suburbs. Right. And Tylenol at the time was the biggest pain reliever in the country. Right. Right. So seven people died. The nation was panicked. Um, they now look at it as an act of domestic terrorism. But back then, we didn't even know what that term meant. And then everything changed because... Everything had to become tamper-proof. Up to that point, you could open up anything. Steve and Johnny were telling me about being back in a grocery store back then. You could open up the cottage cheese and smell it. You know, I mean, it just yeah, wasn't it was, unusual. And now everything's changed. simpler time. Yeah, it was a much more innocent time back then. It was things like, you know, domestic terrorism or tainting uh, Tylenol or peanut butter or baby formula was just not in our conscious. And... um they were able to solve the medical mystery within 24 hours uh, that it, someone had tainted the Tylenol with potassium cyanide, uh, which you really have no chance of survival um, with the, the level of uh, dosage that these poor souls uh, took. But they, um, of course, the medical mystery was solved within 24 hours, largely because three members of the same family were victims. But we know the criminal investigation has logged on now for 40 years. They haven't um, they haven't charged anyone with the murders. And it focuses around one person who did time in prison for writing an extortion letter to Tylenol. After all your investigation, Christy, do you think or do investigators think that he is the person behind this crime? 
he is their target. Uh, he has been their target for 40 years, ever since he sent an extortion letter to Johnson & Johnson shortly after the murders, demanding $1 million to stop the killing. And he has played, um, he has inserted himself into this investigation. He has played a cat and mouse game with law enforcement for 40 years. And uh, it began with the extortion letter. There was a threatening letter that mentioned this the cyanide poisonings to Ronald, President Ronald Reagan at the time. It continued through his trial when he was awaiting sentencing for attempted extortion. When he met with um, FBI agents and said, I'm not the killer, but I can help you find him, and wrote all these elaborate drawings of how it could have been done, how the, how the bottles could have been spiked. And um, it's continued from there. What is his name? James Lewis. And James Lewis is 76 years old and somebody from the Trib caught up on him or caught up to him while he was going for a walk and had a bit of a conversation with him. Is he still playing the game like he knows something but he's not telling? He used to talk all the time, Lisa. I'm sure you you, you remember his interviews. He, he would write letters to the Chicago Tribune. He gave jailhouse and and interviews in federal prison. Uh, he's been on uh, national television, but for more than the last decade, he's really uh, kept a low profile. He's always denied being the killer um, to this day. And so Stacy and I really, when we set out on this, this um, investigation in January, we really wanted to, you know, get a chance to tell him about what we were working on and sit down with him. So Stacy and I went out twice to Boston. Uh, first, Stacy and I went maybe, was it June, Stacy? And mm-hmm. um, weren't, a- weren't able to get him. And then I went with a uh, second time with a photographer, and we were able to find him in August on the streets of Cambridge, Massachusetts. And he, again, denied being the killer, gave his own theory. And um, I found it interesting the questions he wouldn't answer. He wouldn't answer if he was afraid of ever being charged or if he regrets writing the letter. Christy Gutowski, uh, Gutowski and uh, Stacy St. Clair are both Chicago Tribune investigative reporters. They spent nine months on investigating just what can be done and what is happening with the Tylenol murders. And you're turning it into a podcast or someone is. Is that posted yet? Yes, it. Um, the first two episodes dropped today. It's called Unsealed, the Tylenol Murders, and we worked on it with our partners at Will Media. Um, and it, it's really a great oral history of the case from the people who saved lives by figuring this thing out, figuring out that the, there was ty- there was cyanide in the Tylenol, you know, their oral history of living through those moments to the current investigation, like the present-day investigation. So, um it's a great yarn. I would think that a lot of the people who were on the original investigation have since passed or retired. That's one of the reasons Stacey and I were um, really interested in this. We felt uh, we both got our start as rookie reporters in the suburbs and know a lot of got to know some of the law enforcement in the twilight of their careers. We know that they never really let this one go. So it was something that really interested both both of us. And, um, you know, we both feel strongly that time is running out. Memories fade. People die. What about the main uh, Chicago Police Department detectives that we investigated who uh, went to his death believing another man, Roger Arnold, uh, was the Tylenol killer. He passed away shortly, like within days of our interview. Um, you know, memories fade. So we felt like, you know, time's running out. Now's the time to, to dedicate the Chicago Tribune resources to this. 
Well, you certainly put a lot of effort into it, and I hope that your article and your podcast jog somebody's memory or something comes up and there can be some closure in this case, especially for the families that lost their loved ones. Great job. Congratulations on the piece of work that you created, and thanks for joining us on Chicago's Afternoon News. Thanks, Lisa. Thanks, Lisa.